chapter 5. Again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is the iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, To the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Oh boy, that's loud. Here we go. (laughs) Thank you, Mike, by the way, and thank you, Scott. Uh, So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are pure, perfect, righteous, and morally excellent in every way. Lord, help us to see the gravity and the seriousness of sin and of disobeying your commandments. Convict us, Holy Spirit, today and lead us to deep repentance for those areas in our lives in which you call us to change. Jesus, we thank you for removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Through your atoning death on the cross, you wore our sins, and then you bore the Father's punishment for those sins in our place. We owe you everything for that. You alone are our only hope of being made acceptable and made clean in the Father's eyes as we are robed and clothed with your righteousness and with your perfection. We're so grateful. We don't deserve any of this. And in this moment, help me to speak your words, Holy Spirit, not my own. We want you to be the center of attention and help us to get our hearts and minds and spirits focused on you, opening our spiritual ears to hear your voice, that we would walk away as changed people uh, for your honor and for your glory today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Here we go. The sermon series we're going through this fall is on the book of Zechariah, which Scott read for us. And we are actually going through this book of the Bible uh, verse by verse so that we don't miss anything that God would speak to us about. The theme of the entire book is exceedingly hopeful and hope-giving, and it's simply three words. It gets better. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself really sort of in a spiritual ditch. Things are terrible. Tough break after tough break. One depressing situation after the next is happening to you. 
and it becomes hard really to see any sort of hope or light at the end of the tunnel in your life at all. Have you ever felt that way? Well, if you have, perhaps a friend has counseled you, went for coffee, and isn't one of the most helpful things that that friend might say to you uh, with love and with care in their voice saying, hang in there because it gets better. If, absolutely, it's, it's just so life-giving in that moment to receive that encouragement. As a young man, believe it or not, I was young in my earlier days. Uh, I was about 20 years old, ready to quit Bible college. I had someone at that Bible college, otherwise known as Bridal College, where I met my wife, by the way. But someone, if things were rough, I was about ready to quit Bridal slash Bible College. And it was I just didn't know what was going on, didn't have much direction. Someone confronted me with love in their eyes, and they basically said, it gets better. It gets better with Jesus. And in that moment, I actually believed what they said, and my life did change for the better. It didn't get easier, but it got better by the grace of God. Now, let me give you some hopefully quick background to this book of Zechariah. What you need to understand, so it all kind of comes into focus, uh, in and around 538 B.C., before Christ, God's people uh, are, have been released after 70 years of captivity. They have been held in captivity in, the, in Babylon and then Persia. This is 2,700 kilometers east of Jerusalem. These were the world superpowers of the day. God orchestrates by His grace to, to allow them to escape, to come back home to Jerusalem and to, to Judea after 70 years of being captive. And they're thrilled. They are excited. And God instructs them, you guys got to get to work. You got to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You got to rebuild the temple of God, which they, they kind of start with, with that and, and, and get the process going, but it doesn't last long. And it doesn't last long. The work stops. And the reason the work stops is because life back home in Jerusalem is a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. Life in Babylon, by the way, as a side note, was very good for them. They actually thrived in Babylon, thrived in the big city, the metropolis. Things were great in some ways, in many ways. But now they're back home, and it's much more difficult than they thought, more difficult than Babylon in many ways. Spiritually distracted, they, they, it was hard, they, they forget about God, they stop worshiping God, they stop listening to God and His Word, they lose their way, they drift because they are dogged by discouragement. Dogged by discouragement. And discouragement, if you've noticed, is a very powerful force for negativity and for evil, I would say. And as a result, being dogged by this discouragement, weighed down by it, God's people waste about 20 years of their lives doing nothing to rebuild Jerusalem or rebuild their own lives or their nation. So what does God do after about 20 years of doing nothing? He sends Zechariah, the prophet, to light a fire under their butts. And he wants to wake them up again spiritually. Get back to reality. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing. And Zechariah, through, God through Zechariah shows them their sin. He leads them back to God and back to the work that God commissioned for them to do. And you see, for us here at Mercy Hill Church, you know, that story of God's people in that time, 500s BC, parallels our story in some ways. Things have been tough for our church for a little while. Uh, spiritual drift. And as a result, when we're drifting spiritually, mission starts to drift as well. So we're not 
seeing as many people come to Christ or be changed by Christ, that is set in. Things have been hard. Circumstantial stuff going on that have been difficult. People moving. We have been dogged by discouragement as well. But we've got to take heart. The same message that God was giving to the people of God in Zechariah's day, God is still for us. He is not against us. He's got a purpose for us like, they, like he had for them. Jesus desires for us to get back to work. Get back to building the church. Get back to mission. And to remember with Jesus, it gets better. It gets better. All right. In connection with the passage that Scott read for us, Zechariah chapter 5, the sermon title for today is one word, cleansing. Cleansing. And cleansing can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For example, you might do a liquid cleanse. What's a cleanse? What's a cleanse? Cleanse. A liquid cleanse where you basically punish yourself by eating nothing, just drinking a lot of stuff. Uh, you eat no solids. All you ingest are, um, you know, you basically you put kale and yogurt in a blender, and then you eat that stuff, and it turns green somehow, and it's really weird. Uh, and basically, you do this for a week. You eat nothing but liquids for a week, drink nothing but liquids for a week, and somehow this 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 cleanses you from all your dietary sins, all your dietary impurities, or so you think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, okay, it's, it's okay, by the way, if you've done this. For myself, when I think of cleansing, I'm reminded of the time about two summers ago. I finally broke down. I got fed up. I cleaned out my garage. I cleaned out my closet. I cleaned out my home office. It was, they were a disaster, just overflowing with junk. Why did I do that? Well, there was clutter and junk everywhere. I'm a hoarder by nature. I get that from my dad. Okay, he's a farmer. You, you, don't, you save everything. You save everything because times are tough as a farmer. And, and so I don't like to throw anything out just like my dad. And my wife just so appreciates this about me that I don't throw anything <laughs> out at all. Not really. It's a point of contention. Anyhow, two summers ago, I couldn't take it anymore and finally listened to my wife. I felt like I needed a home cleanse a garage cleanse, a closet cleanse. So I get rid of most of my wardrobe. I got too many old shirts. I get rid of most of my books because I'm not even using them at all in my office. I get rid of basically all the stupid junk from my garage, all in the name of minimalism and also of cleansing. I needed a cleanse. What was the result? Relief, joy, and best of all, space in my garage, space in my closet, space in my home office, and sadly, tragically, after two years of this, they filled up again with stupid junk, and it's basically worse than it was back then. But anyhow, I got problems. I need therapy. Anyhow, my point is, cleansing is good, right? And when it comes to God and our relationship to God individually and our relationship to God as a church family, spiritual cleansing is crucial. What are those areas in our life, my life, your life, what are those areas in our church life that God wants us to undergo a serious, significant spiritual cleanse in that will help us get back on track, get back to the mission of Jesus, get back to a love relationship with Jesus? Think about that. And this is the big idea that God gives to Zechariah in chapter 5. And what I want to do really now is transition by looking at, there's actually two visions in this chapter. And the first vision is the one that I want to begin with. The first vision is this. And I think there might be a picture of this vision on the screen. And in this vision, there's a picture on the screen 
of this vision. And Zechariah, he looks up and he sees a giant, there it is, flying scroll. This is weird. It sounds weird, right? And in ancient times, scrolls were just like our modern day books, which we're not actually using books as much as we used to. We're using e-books now, but they were kind of like ancient books, these scrolls. And in fact, much of the Bible was written and then kept uh, in ancient times on these scrolls. And scrolls were made they weren't made out of paper. They, well, the paper they used were stretched out hides of sheep, and then they'd write on them with uh, some sort of instrument, and then they would roll it up into a scroll kind of like that one. And Zechariah sees this flying giant scroll in the sky, and what this represents is the Word of God, specifically the Bible, more specifically the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, you may be familiar with these, are really the centerpiece of what is known as the Mosaic Covenant. And we'll talk about that later, okay? Now, how big is this scroll that he sees in the sky? Well, it is big. It's about 30 feet long and about 15 feet wide. These are the exact measurements of the floor space for the Holy of Holies in the Temple of God. I didn't really research into that, but there's probably a connection with the rebuilding of the Temple here as well. But anyhow... Um, designed to be so big, the idea is it's like a giant billboard so the, the people of God won't miss it. They'll actually hear what God is saying on this Jimmy Patterson-like sign that you might see on the freeway. Like, don't miss it. Don't miss it, people of God. And here's why uh, Bible scholars believe that the Ten Commandments are listed. So maybe five on the one side and the other five on the other, it's because when Zechariah mentions that on the one side of the scroll, it says that everyone who steals will be cleaned out. So there's the cleansing idea. And then on the other side of the giant scroll, it says that everyone who swears falsely or lies will be cleaned out as well. And so, just like the original Ten Commandments, um, when God wrote those on those stone tablets, if you know the story, they were double-sided, okay? And each of these commandments to not steal, and also to not lie, they represent all of the Ten Commandments. That's what Bible scholars believe, okay? Let's not get bogged down in this too much. But the basic idea of this covenant that God made with his people through Moses back in the day, the centerpiece, which was the Ten Commandments, was simply this. If you guys do what I tell you to do, if you obey these Ten Commandments, I will cause you to, to flourish. I will bless you. It will go well with you. But if you choose to ignore these commandments, if you choose to rebel against what I say and disobey them, you know, it will not go well for you. In fact, I will curse you. I will not cause you to flourish. I will separate myself from you. That was the basis of the Mosaic Covenant in short. Now, why in the world would God remind His people through Zechariah about these Ten Commandments? Well, it's because, remember, they've lost their way. They're drifting everywhere but towards God. Drifting spiritually. They stop paying attention to God. They stop listening to God. They're depressed and they're, they're dogged by discouragement. Like I mentioned, they're, they're spiritually stuck, going nowhere. It's a bad place. And as a result, they are breaking the Ten Commandments. They become experts in breaking those Ten Commandments. They're stealing. They're, they're lying. They're cheating, committing adultery, worshiping other fake and false gods, making other things, their primary love and passion other than God. And God's like, no, that should be me. But they're making other stuff primary. God's number five. He's not number one anymore. And as a result of their disobedience, God says, you know what? 
Like, he's kind of fed up. You know, he's like, you know what? If that's what you want to do, your choice. I'm going to clean house. Do you feel the gravity of that? It's a little bit intense, a lot intense. I'm, I'm cleaning house here, guys, he says to God's people. I'm going to cleanse my people from those who uh, refuse to obey me, from those who refuse to change. You're out of here. God's people need to reflect the glory of God and the character of God. And if God's people are not reflecting His character and His holiness, how can they represent God in the world? Israel is by design to be a light to the nations, just like our church is to be a light to the nations. So if we're living in conflict with God's ways, how can we be light to the nations? We can't, just like they couldn't, and we're not doing back then either. And God's had enough, you see. And that leads us to number one as we try to apply this to our modern-day lives uh, here at Mercy Hill Church. It's simply, in light of the Ten Commandments, examine yourself. Let us examine ourselves. Examine where you need and require cleansing from sin. You know, we've been talking about cleansing in light of food and stuff, so let's just keep going with that analogy. The idea of clean eating. talked about this before, but the idea of clean eating, and it's actually probably a good idea the older you get, but... What nutritionists will tell you that to make your body clean from having too much fat and from having too many impurities within it and from having too many cancer-causing elements in your body, you need to eat clean. Someone brought donuts this morning. It's like, it's like a drug for a, a drug addict. I just couldn't help myself. Thank you for that. I think <laughs> I was not eating clean this morning. All right, so what this means is for you to eat clean... More kale, less bacon. More veggies, less McDonald's. More fruit, less pizza. More fiber, less cigarettes. Okay. And what good nutritionists will do, what they, if they are professionals, they will sit you down at their desk and they essentially do an inventory of your life and what you're ingesting and what you're doing. Essentially, they ask you, what foods are you eating what calories are coming in? What bad foods have you been ingesting lately? List out for me your activity or non-activity, your exercise, your lack of exercise. Again, how many calories coming in? How many calories going out? What's happening? What are you putting into your body and what is going out of your body? Now, why would a good nutritionist do this for you? Because until you take the time to examine your eating habits and your lifestyle, until you step back and, and take stock of what, where things have gone wrong or right for you, chances are nothing's going to change. Chances are you will never eat clean. Chances are you will never be cleaned or cleansed physically. And it's the same kind of thing when it comes to your spiritual life for us, for you, for me, for us as a church family. When we regularly look at ourselves and examine ourselves in the mirror of Scripture, which the, the Scripture refers to itself as, and the, like the Ten Commandments is Scripture. And, and, and those are still instructive. They are affirmed in the New Testament, all ten of them. Uh, and until we, we take Scripture and we compare ourselves to it and, and ask the Holy Spirit to use the Bible to show us where we fall short, and we do this on a regular basis, and we ask the Holy Spirit to examine us, show us, show me where I fall short. Show me where I'm screwing up. Show me where I'm making a mess of my marriage and of my parenting and of, of my, my work habits. Expose the sin in me. 
use the Bible to do that, Holy Spirit. And until we get into that practice and a, a daily uh, discipline of turning away from sin, will we ever change? No. And so that's got to happen. Here's the thing, you know, we are not under the Mosaic Covenant any longer. Where, you know, if we don't obey God, He's, you know, it's not going to go well for us. Jesus has come. And thanks to His cross, He has died for our sins on the cross in our place. He's rose again. And, and, and those sins that we have committed in the past, commit today, commit tomorrow, in the future, all of our sins paid in full, it's done. And yet, do Christians still sin? Yes, we do. No, we're not defined by sin. No, we're not to be dominated by sin any longer. And yet we still sin. And as we talked about back in September, this is why we believe, as a leadership team, one of the key daily disciplines for a disciple and follower and Christian is something we call daily repentance. Meaning, let the Spirit use the Bible. Remember the mirror? Holy Spirit, use the Bible to point out any sin in me today. And the sin that the Lord helpfully points out in me and confronts me on, I am to confess back to Him, I'm sorry, with regret, remorse. I'm sorry, I sinned. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I am sorry. We confess the sin. We take that sin to the cross. We leave it there because it's already been paid for in full. We admit it. Take responsibility for it. And then receive the daily grace and forgiveness to cover that sin. And so... What I want us to do in this moment, and this is confrontational, is to just go through a few of the Ten Commandments and see if God is confronting you on, on one of these, okay? He wants you to change. He doesn't want you to settle. He wants you to be formed and shaped more and more into the beautiful image of Christ. And this is how this happens. This is how change happens. We apply the Gospel to our sin to leave it there and move away from it. And let me ask you, just to run a few, through a few of these Ten Commandments. I've been instructed to try to follow my notes today because, you know, I've, I've been getting off track and the, our PowerPoint volunteers don't have a clue where I'm at. So i got to get back to my notes here. Are we okay? Yeah, we're good. Okay, so just to run through a few of these Ten Commandments. Where does God call you to be cleansed from sin to better reflect His character in your life? So is God your first love? He c commands us to worship Him alone. So is He your first love? Is He your one and only? Is God the sole recipient of your primary divine affections? Of your primary worship? Or are there other things that are trying or have taken the place of Jesus in your life? So is sports taking the primary loyalty in Christ's place in your life? Maybe it's your kids where they become more important to you than Christ. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your possessions. What's, what's competing with Jesus in your life? for your primary love and loyalty. What about dishonesty? Thou shalt not bear false witness. If you're like me, you're good at exaggerating things. Or you're good at leaving out details. And this is something that God has been pointing out in me for years. And this is a dangerous thing to have as a preacher. You know, It's not good. But is that you? Are you exaggerating stuff? Or are you just outright lying? Is that just... a a pattern that's been established in you. Or what about adultery? Let's talk about this one. You know, Jesus really ramped up the adultery discussion in the Sermon on the Mount, and he based his teaching on the Ten Commandments, whereas thou shalt not commit adultery, but he goes much deeper. And so the idea of mental adultery is what Jesus introduced to us. 
And so having inappropriate affairs with others in your mind, mentally, mental adultery. And so is, is, is porn something you've justified in your life and allowed yourself, oh, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It simply cannot be there as a Christian. You've got to, to kill that sin. You've got to ask God to intervene, save you from you, and put it to death. Put that, to, put that nonsense away in your life. You've got to. And here's what we do. So whatever, those, whatever sin you may need to, to face today, here's what you do when God confronts you on some of these commandments that we looked at. You just re-pray Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Maybe the whole thing. And this is a great prayer to pray daily. And this is what David prayed to God. You know, David prays this prayer after he commits adultery and after he, he murders a guy. I mean, he was a piece of work. And so we pray, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And that's what Christ has done for us on His cross. Isn't that, that's what we need initially and every day. Cleansing. It's helpful. Cleansing is key to change. All right, to summarize the point, like God confronted His people in Zechariah's day on their need to deal with their sin and be cleansed, how will you today, how will you this coming week, will you examine where God wants you to change, where the sin that He wants you to admit and repent from and, and confess to Him and walk away from so you can receive uh, the, the daily grace of Christ. Let's move on. We have not just one vision, we have two visions. And the second vision that we see in chapter 5 here uh, is an interesting word picture, and it's simply that of a basket. And that sounds weird in and of itself, although we may use a basket for picnics and stuff. Um, actually, I think we use offering baskets, don't we? And again, a basket may not sound terribly bling-bling or very interesting, but you know, baskets were a big deal in ancient times. Uh, baskets were as common uh, it, back then as backpacks or, or purses are today. And a typical basket would uh, carry about 22 liters equivalency of stuff inside it. Things like uh, grain, things like vegetables, Things like clean eating, let's, let's stick, stick to the clean eating. Vegetables, fruit, kale. Uh, you'd also carry your tools in your basket as well. Maybe you carry your kids because, uh, you know, ancient times, they didn't have, you know, baby, what do you call those things? Strollers and stuff, you know. Th this was probably your, your stroller, except you had to haul it around. Anyhow, what is inside this basket that Zechariah sees in the second vision? He sees a woman inside this basket. Interesting. What is going, where is he going with this? God? Where is God going with this analogy? Well, what is her name? Her name, please don't name your child this. Her name is wickedness. Okay, Wickedness. As it turns out, the Hebrew word that is used in this passage for wickedness sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for Asherah. Who's Asherah, you're asking? Who's this Asherah? Asherah is a female goddess of fertility that was very common uh, and very commonly worshipped by all kinds of people in that day and age. And so Asherah was a fertility god, meaning the way that you would worship Asherah is by going to the temple and doing stuff with temple prostitutes that you shouldn't be doing. Okay, that was how they worshipped. 
It was obviously a religion made by a guy. I mean, it was just terrible. And so basically, she was a, this fertility god, and chances are God's people have been going off to the temple of Asherah and participating in stuff they should not be participating in. Um, and they're doing this. You know, you're very vulnerable. That, that's what we need to remember, is that as they're forgetting about God, as they're drifting spiritually, in that moment of spiritual drift, they and we are so vulnerable spiritually to falling into stuff that we shouldn't fall into. You see? But this is what was happening. They're, they're going to the temple, the wrong temple. All right? But back to this woman named Wickedness. It is likely not limited to just stuff connected to Asherah. It's a big category that God is confronting his people on. Basically, anything that they're doing to, in their sinful, wicked dealings and of dishonoring and disobeying God. So the whole kit and caboodle. And in the vision, the woman named, named Wickedness, she is kept safely inside the basket with a lead cover on top. That probably indicates how God is more powerful than wickedness. Like wicked, wickedness does not take God over or have power over God. God has power over wickedness. So that's kind of neat. So we got this lead lid that keeps wickedness inside the basket. And then we see two other women. Uh, we, they might be angels, but they're women with wings. This is a vision, by the way. And they cart off this woman in this basket 2,700 kilometers east to where? To Shinar, otherwise known as Babylon. Taking this leap. You, know, you see what God's saying? Leave the wickedness behind you. Don't go back there again. Take it away. Let me take, get it out of here. It's not going to help you anymore. Put that behind you. You see what he's saying? And that leads us to point number two in our notes in terms of how we apply this today is simply this. Think about yourself. Seek the initial, that's the day of conversion, becoming a Christian. Seek the initial and then the ongoing cleansing from and removal of wickedness from our lives that only Jesus provides through the gospel. You see, earlier in this message, I talked about, you know, I struggle with hoarding stuff. I got problems. I need therapy. Um, I finally, though, I got rid of a whole whack of stuff for a time. And what a great relief. What a great, wonderful relief to me. You know, but if you think about it, for all of us, in terms of this idea of getting rid of stuff from our homes, we do this or should do this every week or every other week. You know what I'm talking about here? Garbage day, okay? Garbage day. We do this all the time. Thankfully, the city picks up our trash, again, every week or every other week. So what that means is all those leftovers, those stinky leftovers, all those stinky diapers, um, all that trash literally removed, taken out of our homes, and then our homes are, in a sense, cleansed from trash, cleansed from garbage pretty much every week. And can you imagine what it would be like if no one would come to pick up your trash? I can actually imagine that. You know why? I wasn't there at the time, but you may be familiar with Toronto. A few years ago, they underwent a garbage truck driver strike or something like that. And so the, for, I think it was six to eight weeks, the trash was not picked up in Toronto. And literally, the trash was stacking up, uh, and it was just a stinking mess because when did, they, when did this strike happen? In the dead of summer. And if you've ever lived in Toronto, you know how hot and humid it is there in the dead of summer. It's nasty. It's almost as hot as the Philippines in the summer, I think. So it's just crazy. Um, and it was just just horrible. Well, can you imagine how smelly things were in Toronto with the trash piling up? 
Can you imagine how, how many rats there were? How unsanitary it was? How disgusting it was? But then once the day finally came, they settled. The strike was over. Can you imagine how happy the entire city of Toronto was? They were beyond ecstatic. Here's my point. If we don't receive the initial day of conversion, becoming a Christian, cleansing, and then the ongoing cleansing and removal of wickedness that Jesus makes possible for us in our lives, if, if that trash is not taken out, our inner world, our hearts become like Toronto. I know it sounds weird, but do you see my point? Our hearts become like a stinky, festering Toronto. This is a place where festering, spiritual, sinful garbage just, 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 turns into, it just turns into a mess and it makes things worse in our inner world. It doesn't go anywhere. We're not taking out the trash. And here's the good news. The good news is the gospel. Jesus Christ, outside the city of Jerusalem, no less, He takes upon Himself on that cross all of my wickedness and all of your wickedness, all of our wickedness onto Himself. And like a house was constructed, by the way, for wickedness in Shinar, a cross was constructed for Jesus to be nailed to it. And Jesus on that cross, He wore our wickedness and then He was punished and He was killed for our wickedness even though Jesus Himself never even did or said or thought about anything wicked at all. And yet Jesus became sin. He became sin personified for us. And then He died and He did this out of love for you and I. Three days later, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose up from the dead to defeat our wickedness forever. Gone. Obliterated. He fully and finally removed our wickedness from us and He took it further away from us than the 2,700 kilometers that Shinar and Babylon was from Jerusalem back in the day. This wickedness, this sin is gone forever. It's just gone. And so thanks to Jesus, thanks to what Jesus accomplished for us in removing our wickedness, we can be clean, we can be cleansed. We are made clean if we become a Christian, if we repent of our sins, if we trust that Jesus did this for us in the gospel, and if we are baptized. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 speaks to the cleansing effect that the cross has for us. It says, How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I'm just going to ask you, I don't know where you're at. If you are not yet a Christian, why wait for the cleansing to happen in your, in your inner world. Out of love, Jesus died for you to make you clean, to make you fully, completely forgiven. So come to Jesus with repentance. Come to Jesus with faith and trust. Pursue baptism. Take that next step. Let's talk about it after the service today or talk to another Christian friend that you trust. Let me talk to you. Some of you else, Others of you here are already Christians and I want to get in your grill a little bit. Christian. Mercy Hill Church members, some of you are church members. Let me ask you this. Is this a daily discipline? Are you seeking daily cleansing? Are you seeking ongoing cleansing from Jesus? Are you looking in the mirror on a regular basis of Scripture and saying, oh, that's where God wants me to change? Remember the great promise that we have in Christ. John 
uh, says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9. to Hear these words. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here it is. The blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, He's speaking to Christians here, by the way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, here it is, cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. I'm going to ask you a question as I close this message. Will you seek the initial and the ongoing daily cleansing from and removal of wickedness from our lives that only Jesus provides through the Gospel? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your great gift. The thing that stands between us and God without you is our sin. The thing that results from us apart from you is judgment for those sins from the Father. We are so grateful that you intervene as our rescuer and Savior to save us from ourselves and save us from our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for removing our wickedness away from us much further than a mere 2,700 kilometers. But you took that wickedness onto yourself. You paid for it in full, and now it's gone. We're so grateful. We don't deserve any of this, and yet you give this to us. We see how much you love us, and we're so grateful for this great love that you have for us. Without you, Jesus, we would have no hope at all, no hope of forgiveness, no hope of cleansing. And we honor, we worship, and we praise you for this cleansing that happened only because of your finished work on the cross. And we're so grateful. Lord, we come to you in this time of communion to remember and celebrate what you've done for us. In this moment, Holy Spirit, show us those areas that of needed change, those areas of sin, those areas of wickedness that we are dabbling in and getting caught up in and, and entangling our lives with. And would you lead us to actually take responsibility for those sins, confess them to you, and, and to receive your, your grace in this moment of communion. Change us into your likeness for your glory alone. We need your help. In Christ's name, amen.